You're listening to Advancing Our Church. Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. And I'm your host, Jim Friend. Well, thanks for joining us, and I hope you enjoyed a successful Catholic Schools Week. Here at Changing Our World, we have some great programming planned for the first quarter of 2020. A couple weeks ago, I took a trip out west, and I visited some new friends in California. And today, we're going to visit with the Mission Advancement Team in the Diocese of Phoenix. But before we do, this past weekend, we celebrated the Feast of the Presentation of the Lord. And I think the relevancy for us sometimes is to just experience the extraordinary in the ordinary of our daily lives. You know, Mary and Joseph in the Gospel bring Jesus to the temple, and they meet Simeon, who embraces Jesus and says, Now, Master, you may let your servant go in peace. Essentially, he says, my life is complete and now I can die. I just kind of admire that kind of peace and that kind of faith. I think for many of us, especially those who have teenagers, we're always in this phase of what we need. Dad, I need a new cell phone. Dad, my car needs to get fixed. Saving for college, retirement, maybe you're saving for your first house. It's always that next thing that we need. And I think sometimes we need to take a step back on this journey and thank God for the blessings that we've received. You know, we're in the middle of winter. And for those of us who live in the colder climate, it's tempting sometimes not to see the glasses half empty, especially during this time of year. But rather, let's take Simeon's approach and be at peace and remember that we have what we need. Let's tackle today with that spirit of abundance and be at peace. Now, let's get to work. Today, I visit Phoenix, Arizona, which, by the way, is where I was born. And while visiting my family there, I had the chance to visit the Mission Advancement Team in the Diocese of Phoenix. Today, I talk with Conde de Leon, Linda Barkiam, and Lisa Wentz, who are the senior leaders for the team. We talk about the needs they're experiencing in the diocese, the great vision of Bishop Olmsted, by the way, I'm a fan, tremendous author and speaker, especially uh, to men's spirituality. And we also talk about the Kino Institute and why, and this is incredible, why they're experiencing such a boost in the number of seminarians in the diocese. And so, without further ado, here's our conversation. Well, welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining us today on the podcast. It's great to be here in the Diocese of Phoenix with all of you. Uh, Why don't I go ahead and just uh, have you guys introduce yourselves. We'll go around the table real quick. Uh, Linda, why don't you go first? Sure. I'm happy to be here. My name is Linda Barkium. I'm the Director of Engagement in the Office of Mission Advancement for the Diocese of Phoenix. Wonderful. Conde? Conde de Leon. I serve as the Executive Director for the Office of Mission Advancement here in the Diocese of Phoenix. Welcome. And Lisa? And Lisa Wentz. I am the Director of Appeals in the Office of Mission Advancement in the Diocese of Phoenix. Well, great. Well, thanks for taking a few minutes of your time with me today. As I mentioned to you before, this is my hometown, town I was born in some 50 years ago. It's always great to come back and visit family. And this was a double bonus to kind of spend some time with you guys today. Um, So let's just start with, you mentioned we were talking before the podcast a little bit about how you had reorganized the podcast, or reorganized the office, and uh, and Conde, you were recruited to come down here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that process and how the office was formed? Yeah, no, um, thanks. It was uh, it was uh, really a providential thing that happened. Um, I was in the Diocese of Corpus Christi, serving as the director of Parish Stewardship and Development, and we'd done a lot of really good things out there. But um, I felt that 
that something was um, ready to change, and just mm-hmm. in career wise, and uh, received a phone call. And initially, I said that I was not interested. Mm-hmm. But I talked to my wife about it. That's and- how all good recruitment stories start. Not <laughs> yeah. interested. Hang up the phone, right? Well, <laughs> Thank you, know, you for calling. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, you know. I mean, born and raised in Corpus Christi, Texas. Um, you know, it's you know we have four kids. I should mention to you, and the yeah. last thing you want to do is uproot your kids. I had a senior that was graduating high school. Oh my! It's now graduating college, and the last thing I want to tell her is I'm thinking about moving. Sure. So it, it just it just wasn't the right timing. But when I talked to my wife about it, she said, "Have you prayed about it?" And and I told her no. And she asked me why not. And I said, well, I blamed it on her. I said, you would never want to go anywhere. <laughs> she said, <laughs> "She said, well, you know, you really should pray about it and ask God what he wants. And I did. And as I was doing research, I found um, that Bishop Olmstead was the bishop here in the diocese. And I read his exhortation called Into the Breach. Yes. We um, talked about that. That's an excellent. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just life-changing. And yes. I just read it. And I just, I immediately felt drawn to Bishop Olmstead and just yeah. said, I, um, I, I could serve him and he gets it. He is in the fight and he's really trying to make a difference. So through that, I went ahead and looked at the job description and it described everything that I was feeling drawn towards. Like, I mean, I felt like that was, it, that was who I was. So I felt like I was reading about Conde. And, um, mm-hmm. so I just, you know, told the Lord, if this is the right thing to do, um, then please open the doors. And it just happened to be that Father Greg Schlarb, who is the vicar for stewardship, I had known through the ICSC. Mm-hmm. And um, and so because of that, I felt even more like just like this could be a good fit. So everything stars aligned and here I am. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. And uh, you said that the, this is a relatively new office, kind of reorganized. How did that all shape up? And, and how, how is the office currently formed, I should ask you? Yeah. Sure. Well, initially this office was a stewardship office, and yeah. as it is in many dioceses. And and they they called though they called it a stewardship office. I remember when I first got here and I went to go visit the parishes. They say you know the only time that we that we hear from the stewardship office is when we haven't done well in our charity and development appeal, which, which is the annual appeal. So um, and, and you know that's not a knock on this diocese. It's, it's like that pretty much everywhere. You know, most dioceses seem to have the reputation they only call when there's bad news. That's <laughs> true. Yeah, and you know part of that is just because of the uh, the budget that's been dedicated to this kind of effort, and mm. they're really there was a minimalistic approach in terms of how do we engage. And since there was a good system in place and we had learned how to live by that system, we just, we just learned how to manage through that. Mm-hmm. But through Bishop Olmstead and Father Greg Schlarb and the uh, Vicar General here, Father Fred Adamson, they, they knew that, that we needed to do something more. So mm-hmm. Bishop has, has always been um, one to speak about encountering the living Christ. It's the mission of the Diocese of Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And so through the Mission Advancement Office, he wanted to to um, expand on that and really engage relationships and key constituents uh, in the community, but also the presbyterate. So in order to do that, you needed to beef up the office. So what we did was we initially, they were looking to build a campaign, uh, a capital campaign to raise money. But through that, they recognized that we needed to reorganize our office, and that's how the office mission advancement was developed. Great. And then uh, when did uh, Linda and Lisa come on board to join you? This is your executive yeah. team you brought with you today. Yeah. 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 I'll let Linda take yeah. that. Well, <laughs> you go <Sure>. first. <laughs> He's saying that because I was here. Okay. When he, yes. So I was part of the Office of Stewardship. Mm-hmm. That's how I came to come to the Pastoral Center. I've worked in the diocese going on 29 years now. Mm-hmm. So... 
I was here, part of the Office of Stewardship, and when the talk of the campaign, the restructuring and formation of this office came about, I was, it was a great grace for me that I was offered an opportunity to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. So that's how I came to this position. And then your, your position was kind of changed a little bit, you were saying, into, into more engagement. Can you tell me a little bit about your role? Sure, sure. Yeah. When uh, our diocese took on the, this uh, campaign for evangelization and discipleship, they, I was in the role as the director of the campaign, so I oversaw the campaign in all of our 117 parishes and missions. Well, the campaign formally ended December 31st. Mm. So, uh, but Condé and Lisa and I have been working for almost a, over a year to formulate a plan of how we continue to do the good work that's been started through the work of the campaign. And so, uh, again, a great grace for me to be offered a position as the director of engagement. Great. So the people that we had hired in a temporary position as campaign managers, most were offered, were, we were able to offer them a position as an engagement manager, nice. again, to carry on that good work. And how long have you been here in the diocese? Um, I've worked in the diocese uh, 29 years. Wow. Yeah. Um, what did you do prior? Uh, prior to coming to the Pastoral Center, I worked mm. in two of our parishes nice. and one of our high schools. Okay. Yeah. Which high school? Uh, Seton Catholic Preparatory, Chandler, mm. Arizona. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and you're practically a lifelong native. I mean, you've been here a long time. Yeah. I, we moved. My family moved here in 1975. Yeah. I was going to be a senior in high school. <laughs> so I understand the, wow. dr the trauma yeah. of uprooting a yeah. family. I love Arizona. Originally a native of the Chicago area. Ah, okay. Yeah. So that Midwestern was, roots. That was a big change. Then. It was a yeah. big change. And it was a big change back then to go from a large metro sure. to really Phoenix at that time was really a very small town. It was. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Seen a lot of growth. I'll bet. And it continues. Yeah. Very exciting. It is one of the fastest growing areas in the country, right? Yes, it is. Incredible. Yes, it is. Yeah. They're uh, just in the west side of the Phoenix area, for example, they're projecting growth in the like 40, I mean, excuse me, 400% in the next 20 years. Wow. Yeah. And what do you so, think, what is the draw in Phoenix? It, I mean, I, I don't know that you're known for your great sports teams. No offense, right? <laughs> but diehard fans. Diehard fans. Yes. 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 Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, obviously, the first draw is the weather. Yes. Um, this is such a beautiful climate here. Mm -hmm. We have, our winter is really the summertime, mm -hmm. and it only lasts a couple of months. Mm -hmm. and, um, and it doesn't stop us. People yeah. that like to be outdoors, love the sunshine, they come to Arizona. And Arizona, it, most people think of it as a desert, yeah. but it has a vast and, and a wide variety of climates. So you can live in the valley and it's the heat of the summer and you're roasting. Sure. And Friday night, you can drive two hours and you're up in the mountains and it's 30 degrees cooler and good camping, great fishing, hiking. Places like Prescott, I visited up mm -hmm. there a couple yep. years ago. And up on the Mugion Rim, so Sholo, yeah. uh, up in that area. And, and again, we have some beautiful landscape here in Arizona. And people don't even realize we have three great mountains to ski on in the winter. Mm -hmm. So... 
So when I was a kid, we were, I told you before, we were in Tempe and Mesa, my father, mm-hmm. our parents, my parents had uh, homes there. And we had a rock front yard, right? Does mm-hmm. it, you yep. guys have that? Like yeah. there's no, there's, yeah. we had a right. little, little tiny patch of grass in the <laughs> sure. backyard. Yeah. We had a pool. We were blessed to have a pool. And then the whole front yard was all rock and cactus. Absolutely. Yeah. It's pretty low maintenance, right? Yeah, that's right. Xeriscape, we call it. Xeriscape. I yes. like that. <laughs> so very low maintenance, a lot of succulents, mm-hmm. cactus. Sure. You know, the desert is actually beautiful. Beautiful. It and is. it blooms and, you know, but it is not like as I was used to growing up with mm-hmm. the forest preserves and the changing seasons. We <laughs> Nothing changes here. <laughs> Your palm trees are constant. palm trees. That's it's right. Okay. It's very consistent. That's You're good. right. That's, That's good. a good thing. <laughs> Lisa, tell us how your appeal is doing. Tell us a bit about your background. How long have you been here with the diocese? So I've been here about, uh, well, two and a half years. I'm okay. going on my third appeal right now. Yeah. And, um, you know, we all come from different backgrounds. I had a long marketing background, but mostly nice. for profit. Mm-hmm. And then I was home for a bunch of years with kids and came out of the Midwest. And I actually went to work for the Diocese of Green Bay. Okay. In, um, yeah, about 2013, I think it was. Okay. And so I was there for about three years. And then we decided to make the move to Arizona, like so many people do. And I didn't know what would happen, but all my friends in Green Bay reassured me God had a plan for me, and he did. And just like we talked about before, um, when I heard about this job, I thought, oh, no, I'm not qualified for that. (laughs) (laughs) But um, things unfolded, and I finally said yes. So. So yeah, slightly it's, slightly different win- winter from Green Bay. Just a little bit, <laughs> but the Packers are better than the Cardinals. Oh, there it is. <laughs> you know, the Green Bay Packers coach is now at Dallas. There you go. Yeah, but he's no longer the coach. <laughs> I love it. Good one. That's good. That's good. <laughs> so Lisa, you're you're director of all the appeals. Is that all the diocesan appeals that go out? Or yeah, and yeah. and really, right now there is one appeal. The CDA is actually 50 years old, just like okay. the diocese is. Yeah. But we are, um, so the annual appeal raises about $9 million a year, and Great. that supports about 70 different apostolates, charities, and ministries here in the diocese. And so we do great work. We feel good about that. But we feel like it's time to look at the appeals through a new lens. You know, there are many people who just have certain affinities to certain pieces of an appeal. Maybe they really are drawn to seminarians, or maybe they really want to support Catholic charities, Mm -hmm. or maybe they really want to support marriage prep and natural family planning. So our goal is to get to know our constituents better so we can engage them in more ways and things that they're interested in and draw them closer to us, engaging them in the church. Sure. And do you have a community foundation here? in Phoenix? We do. We do. Is that separate from your offices? It's a separate 501c3, yes. Okay, wonderful. Mm -hmm. And so do you guys partner a little bit on some of those kinds of engagement pieces or... We do. You know, we, we, we work closely together. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, we are in good communication. They, uh, they concentrate on, um, a, a lot of plan giving sure. that they they look at towards there so endowments and such yeah right they mm-hmm. we have a good relationship with them and so we um it's important that we're all moving the mission of the church forward together sure so what are you seeing as the kind of the philanthropic landscape of of Phoenix other nonprofits i mean it's obviously a growing area mm-hmm. so the economy is doing well so how is philanthropy here in in the Phoenix area yeah, I, I would say that it is um, very robust and mm-hmm. it is um, highly engaged. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 
it's interesting because uh, coming from South Texas, we obviously did not have the population that's out here. Um, But in the fall and the spring, we would say that, well, particularly the spring, we see um, nonprofits having all sorts of galas and events and you you would think that you know people would get kind of burned out with this kind of stuff but they're mm-hmm. not there's like real strong participation i mean it's it's very active community there's there's a very good philanthropic mm-hmm. mindset i think u of a and asu and nau have helped with that mm-hmm. i think that there's been um some real um you know, hallmark nonprofits here. I mean, we have St. Vincent de Paul is the largest in the world is here. Sure. We have a great Catholic charities. Um, so I think there's some good things happening here. That's kind of helped, um, reap the environment. Wonderful. And, and, uh, what does your appeal support? What are some of the cases for support that you think are catching traction with your donors here in, in Phoenix? Well, I think there's a pretty strong pro-life movement, I think, here in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And um, we support about seven different women's organizations that help women through the stages of pregnancy and support them emotionally and physically and um, bring them to a point where they decide what to do, you know, if they are going to adopt their baby out or have their baby, but ultimately the goal is to have them have their children. Mm-hmm. Um, so pro-life movement, that would be the first thing I think of. Um, Catholic Charities has a very strong following. It's our single largest case component in our CDA distributions each year. Mm-hmm. So we have great support for them. Um, I think we have some wonderful in-house ministries here that we support. Um, First of all, prison ministry. We have a really good prison ministry program, and there are people out in parishes who are, they're passionate about supporting prison ministry, so there's one. Um, We have a wonderful Kino Institute here. So that's kind of the educational arm of our diocese. We train our catechists and our deacons and many other lay ministers through the Kino Institute, but it's to my knowledge, one of the best in the country. World class. World class. Yeah. Exactly. So there's there's so many. Yeah. Catholic education. Yep. Catholic education mm-hmm. is another. We support, um, CDA specifically tends to support kind of lower income schools where we help support tuition in one way or another through scholarships or funding. Mm-hmm. Um, seminarians. We have a large seminarian population here. And we have a brand new formation house here in oh. Phoenix that just opened. Wow. So the CDA has helped support that as well as seminarians that are older um, and off studying in another state. So, so tell me, how did that seminarian house uh, come about? Was there a campaign or how did how did that materialize? Well, everything starts with Bishop. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it really it's was the, the genesis of his thinking. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, was, it was really his vision. And um, it's so this formation house specifically is for first and second year seminarians. So the, the men coming into this are young. Many of them haven't had any college. They're right out of high school or maybe they've had a little and they're discerning, but the goal is to have them live in house with other formature priests and they're exposed to our diocese and we help encourage them on the path to the right discernment and help them figure out if it's where they're supposed to be and where God is calling them, or if it's not. Mm-hmm. But Father Paul um, Sullivan, and then we have two additional um, priests who help there, and deacons as well, a live-in deacon. And they bring these young men along, and they get um, college credits. So they're attending Phoenix College while they're living there. They have volunteer responsibilities, but they live as brothers in a house. Life and yeah, community. Yeah. Just to add on yeah. that, this is a real testament to God and... and um, and the type of bishop that we have, how prayerful he is, and he really is a true apostle of Christ. Um, 
but he told me, you know, because we got noticed this all happened last year. I mean, it was like from within two months that Father Fred Adamson brought a team of people together to make this happen. But when I asked Bishop the story, like, how did, how did this come to be? He said, you know, Conde, it was, it was funny because it was in my heart, but I didn't know if that was of me or God. And so I just said, you know, if this is of you, God, um, I need you to make three things happen. Um, one is I need somebody to come to me to say that this needs to happen. Two, I need to have a major gift come with unsolicited on its own. And three, I need a place to do it at. Within 30 days, all three of those things happen. Wow. Yeah, he, he, he says this. He goes, I know that this is of God. So when he brought this to the team and said that we need to have this, I mean, we were kind of looking at each other like, um, how are we going to get a seminary open mm-hmm. um, by August? He went, right. <laughs> This was brought to us in like Within February. Wow. Yeah, it's February, March. Like, how are we going to do this? You know, and, um, and Bishop assured us, he said, the Lord will provide. And he did. And we were open in August. I think August. 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 It, and it was right on time. I don't even think yeah. it was delayed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was amazing. So it was a real mm-hmm. testament of God's hand in this. It's called Nazareth House. Nazareth House. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, he certainly has a direct line that the rest of us yeah, don't he does. Have. He does. Stay close to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sounds like a real visionary. What a blessing mm-hmm. for your development efforts Absolutely. and obviously more importantly for the whole diocese. That's, mm-hmm. that's tremendous. Yeah. I'm curious. You talked a little bit about Catholic Charities being such an important case component. And, you know, can't help but mention you're here in Arizona on the border and all the immigration challenges that we've had with uh, the administration and just the feeling kind of overall because that has become such a hot topic issue. Um, how, how are how is that received and how is the church uh, of Phoenix uh, dealing with or, or working with the, the immigration population and, and servicing them? Do you, are you part of that or how, what are you hearing through Catholic charities? You know, I, we don't know the, I personally don't know the ins and outs, but I do sure. know like CDA specifically helps support their refugee program. Yeah. So these are refugees who are here legally. Mm-hmm. They are here legally, at, but they need a leg up. You know, maybe they don't speak the language. Maybe they don't have jobs yet. So the refugee program <laughs> is supported to help them become contributing members of society, but they are here legally. That's what I know. Catholic Charities and St. Vincent de Paul are very involved Mm -hmm. with that. And um, our Curia here works very closely with them to make sure that they feel like they are supported. Um, St. Vincent de Paul has really taken an active role. And and right right here in um, central Phoenix, or I should say downtown Phoenix, is one of the headquarters for ICE. Mm -hmm. And that's where they actually do a lot of the processing of the refugees, um, people coming to seek asylum. One of the challenges is um, they they will be given asylum, but then they're kind of just dropped off and, you know, here's $50. And as long as you have a sponsor, it's $50. Now your sponsor might be in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. You need to figure out how to get there. They might get you a bus ticket. But I mean, like you have no clothes, you have no medication, you have no, there's nothing. And so the, the, St. Vincent de Paul has really stepped up and they've opened up their doors. They have a large dining hall and they, they converted it into be an emergency um, place where um, these refugees could go. And Catholic Charities has also got involved. And I'd also add that our um, Catholic parishes and our ecumenical community here, mm-hmm. not just the Catholic Church, has stepped up. So the whole city really has mm-hmm. embraced this. Um, you know, regardless of, of how people may feel politically, these are human beings mm-hmm. and we need to help them. Without a doubt. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting you mentioned um, St. Vincent de Paul Society. Actually, the very first podcast we relaunched with Changing Our World, um, we, we Changing Our World uh, worked with St. Vincent de Paul Society, the national organization, and I interviewed their CEO. He was telling us that the prison ministry, many times the prisons will let prisoners go in the middle of the night 
And so St. Vincent de Paul will have like trailers or campers right outside the the, the prison doors mm-hmm. so they can help these guys, mm-hmm. give them a phone, give them a change of clothes, give them a couple bucks so they can get where they need to go. But such an important ministry. It Absolutely. is. Mm-hmm. Wow. Touches lots of lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um so when you, uh, as a mission advancement office, do you pretty much leave plan giving to the, um, the foundation or does, is that part of the work that you do at all? I wouldn't say we leave it to them. Yeah. I would say that we collaborate with them. Right. So the way we see it is um, we're strengthening the relationships of many of the constituents with the poor, the bishop. Um, sure. So on behalf of the Catholic church. So if somebody feels that um, they want to do something extraordinary with a planned gift, um, mm-hmm. then we certainly encourage that and we'll steward them along the way with that. In a partnership. Um, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that would probably be our biggest role and, you know, certainly encourage it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think, you know, just, some of my experience in, in the in the Catholic Church was not as much as yours, Jim. But what I've noticed is that many development offices are struggling just because of a lack of resources and personnel. Yeah. So they're just you know we're just trying to tread water. We're just trying mm-hmm. to do what we need to do, and we know the good work that needs to be done, and we need to invite people to consider planned gifts. But we may not have the confidence or the um, um, the right resources and how we help them. And so sure. because of that, we shy away from it. Yeah. And so that's one of the things the three of us have talked about. How do we actively, um, you know, invite people to consider this? Makes sense. Makes sense. So um, I'm, I'm curious, uh, you know, someone who might be listening to the podcast, uh, I was talking to another, another development director the other day. Uh, so many folks are, are new in their positions around the diocese. I was just in California and we'll air some of those podcasts in the next few weeks, but um, so many different development director positions open in California right now. And I'm sure around the country, um, you were both pretty new to the diocese within the last few years. What were some of the first things that you did, uh, Conde and Lisa, when you first come into the, into the role of working at a diocesan position? Um, what, was, what was important to you first? What, what was your kind of your plan of attack in the first 30 or 90 days? Well, I know for me, I wanted to get to know people as quickly as I could. You need yeah. to know who your key um, partners are, who mm. can help you. And when I arrived, we were already behind in launching an appeal. So I was nose to the grind, grindstone right away. But once I kind of got through the peak of that, my, my key goal was to meet all the ministerial leaders within this building, you know, the people who head up the different ministries, and then people who are in charge of the different charities. Um to me, I need to be able to to speak about those that we support, who are who are the people who receive our grants and allocations. And the only way I'm going to engage donors to come to us is by telling the stories that I meet through these people. Sure. So um, it's it, it's a beautiful circle, but I love constantly getting out to meet people that we help support. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For me, I think the the very first thing I did was. Um, try to meet with every single pastor I could. And, um, what, you know, pastors are busy. Mm-hmm. So what generally what I'd ask for is just a half hour just to sit down with them and introduce myself. But what normally would turn out is anywhere from an hour to two and a half hours and just conversation and getting to know them and hearing from them. Um, so that was the number one priority I would say concurrently with that, but really, um, probably had more time afterwards was getting to know some of the key constituents here, some of the key leadership within the diocese, some that, um, that had certain, certainly capacity to give and that have given in the past, but also people that were just influential and people that were seen as leaders and just hearing from them about, um, their experience here in the diocese of Phoenix and what was important to them. 
That's tremendous. And those those relationships with pastors are so important. I mean, we live or die by that at the diocesan level, don't we? I Absolutely. Mean, and they have to be authentic. And, you know, mm-hmm. when, when one of them calls and they need help, we have to jump on that right away, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah, Linda, Linda could probably talk talk a little bit about that just with regard to our campaign that we just wrapped up. Yeah, that was such a great experience for us because we worked with every one of our pastors. And we were talking earlier about, you know, they they tell us that the diocese never calls unless they're in trouble. (laughs) And so when we started working with the parishes, our campaign managers would meet every week with the pastors and the, the pastors would say to us, you mean you're going to come here every week, you know? And and certainly we had a plan. We had to implement a campaign in the parishes. But I think some of the best work we did was simply building bridges mm-hmm. so that the we were an arm of the bishop. We were the face of the pastoral center. And we could ensure them that this is a building full of people who really care and want to help. And we would come across pastors or parishes that had certain needs. And because of our position here, it was easy for us to make connections and provide and be a resource to them. So that was a great thing. And and ours is a very large diocese. We span 45,000 square miles in the state of Arizona. So some of our parishes are four, six hours drive from the pastoral center. And, And yet we still made that commitment to meet with them weekly. So we had people on the road. And again, it was just such a great way to connect. And now one of the things that was just a kind of a side effect from the campaign that we really didn't set out to accomplish is that we now not only know the pastor, but we really have a sense of a community. So now when you talk about a parish or a mission, we have a sense of who they are and where their heart is, because every parish and every mission has their own personality you know, irrespective of the pastor. You, you, so, I couldn't have said it better myself. You've seen one parish, you've seen one parish, yeah, right? <laughs> that's right. That's yeah. right. They're not, they're not the same. They're yeah. not the same. And that was the beauty of us running this campaign the way we did to our bishop, again, had great vision that he didn't want to just hire a company to come in because he wanted a staff here yeah. whose sole focus was to try to, to implement a campaign plan, but wrap that around the individuality of each parish and pastor. So that was a great thing. And and again, we built some good relationships with our pastors and started building relationships with others. And um, and I know our bishop has said this, the result of the campaign and one of the big changes for him is his relationship with his brother priests, with his sons. Mm-hmm. Beautifully said. You were a part of, Linda, you were part of the original stewardship office. And so um, uh, how do you, how are you guys working in stewardship today uh, when we talk about time, talent, and treasure? How, how, is, uh, how is your office encouraging that or advancing that? Well, we, we have a number of parishes in our diocese mm-hmm. who have stewardship councils or committees mm-hmm. and are very active in stewardship. We see our role as to foster that, nurture mm-hmm. that, and then grow that mm-hmm. by bringing those ideas to other parishes. We have a lot of, we, we seek out constantly good partners for our diocese um, organizations and companies that will help us. Um, good, we provide good resources. Uh, annually, we do a leadership conference here in our diocese called Ascent. And it's a two-day conference. 
it's really one day in two locations, so we can hopefully invite and, and uh, bring in more leadership. And what we try to do is provide education about stewardship, and, but we do it in such a way that our, part of our goal is just to feed the people that feed the people. Right. So we want to minister to the ministers. So we do an Ascent Conference in the fall, and then we do two... Uh, pathfinders. So there are follow-ups to that. And, and again, in different locations so that we can bring the leaders of our parishes to, to these things and give them a day where they're fed and where they're where they can grow and even be challenged a little bit. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about this Ascent Conference. That really sounds interesting. What kind of workshops are you offering there? Well, we uh, this past year, um, our Ascent Conference was uh, all, uh, the theme of it was the spirituality of stewardship. And we had one speaker that we brought from out of town, uh, but everybody else was local. We used local pastors and local lay leaders to speak about that. Uh, and then our Pathfinder, this uh, spring will be put on by our Sunday visitor. So they're a partner, they're one of our uh, partners in the Ascent Conference. N- this coming fall, we're very excited because our speaker at the Ascent Conference is Julianne Stance. Oh, yes. So um, again, we're, we it, this will just continue to build on the groundwork that we've laid on these uh, Ascent Conferences. Wonderful. Yeah, Jim, we've tried to include um, not just uh, focusing on the spirituality of stewardship, but also uh, an intentional effort to build disciples and evangelization. So part of that was our, our reasoning to change it from a stewardship office to a mission advancement office. In fact, Bishop had a diocesan stewardship council that we've changed to a mission advancement council so that it really can oversee um, stewardship, discipleship, and evangelization and ensure that all of that permeates through. Because ultimately, all three of those things are to advance the mission of the church. Sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, we know that things like time, talent, and treasure happen as a byproduct of people becoming disciples of Christ. And that's where, exactly. we, have, that's where we have to start. Right. Mm-hmm. We can't uh, encourage anything else until we've changed hearts and changed minds. Absolutely. Beautifully said. Um, well, it's exciting. There's a lot of great things happening yeah. in the Diocese of Phoenix. Uh, yeah. What do you see happening? Uh, what, what's the future look like? What do you think your next, uh, what is 2020 going to bring for, for Phoenix? Any? Well, <laughs> You're like, we've already told you, Jim, everything, <laughs> everything's on the table. <laughs> well, what I was going to say, and yeah. then I'll, I'll let you respond, Conde, yeah. um, you know, honestly, yeah. but uh, what we find is sometimes we just don't know, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the diocese is growing. Our, our bishop uh, is such a visionary. There's so much prayer that's put into everything he does, but there's so much great, there are so many great things happening in this diocese, but the Holy Spirit is so present here. Mm-hmm. And so it's very hard to make a plan yeah. when you're led by the Holy Spirit, sure. because today it may be this, but the Holy Spirit may call us to respond to something else sure. tomorrow. Yeah. So, uh, Well, I was just going to say, I think... Um, you know, I'm really excited um, and grateful that we have the opportunity to build on the momentum that's been started. So, you know, a lot of that was started before I got here. You know, mm-hmm. Father Greg Schlarbs, the Vicar for Stewardship, did a lot of groundwork here before. Mm-hmm. Um, when I got here, you know, I was a part of, of building out the Office of Mission Advancement, recruiting the right people. You know, we've gone from two to 15. Mm-hmm. You know, we have, we, as Linda mentioned, we hired our own engagement or parish campaign managers to run the campaign. Well, part of that was to build institutional knowledge and relationships. As Linda has mentioned, we've gotten to know these 
these not just pastors but the communities well that's that's a piece of institutional knowledge that we just you can't replicate and so i think what excites me most is that we are in a good position to build off that momentum to strengthen the relationships to really uh to really grow engagement to another level and really connect people to the mission which is all advancing the mission of the church of course um so the fact that we that we have the opportunity to do that, that we have the right resources, that we have the momentum, that we have the right bishop, that we have the leadership, that we have the support of the courier. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a humbling responsibility. It also just reminds us that we have to be mission driven and we have to show results because, you know, this doesn't, not every diocese gets this opportunity and right. we can't, we just can't waste it. Absolutely. You know, uh, we haven't really touched on the kind of cultural sensitivity. I'm sure you're dealing with different cultures and mm-hmm. uh, different yeah, languages uh, with yeah. your ministries. And uh, mm-hmm. how many, I would imagine, like for your annual appeal, are there, how many different languages are you working with right now? Well, so I'm trying to remember, I published something. Um, we offer masses in, I believe, 13 different languages wow. in our diocese. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that's an area of growth. Mm-hmm. I, I do publish many things in Spanish. Our videos are in English and in Spanish. Many of my printed materials are in English and Spanish, but we could build on that. Yeah. So I would add to that, you know, um, for me, this was my first experience to work with, um, as, to really work with a community aside from the Hispanic community, like the um, the Korean community, mm-hmm. when we had the campaign, when the campaign came around for the one of our Korean Korean parishes, the pastor doesn't speak any English; he only speaks Korean. Oh my! So you know, we, Linda and I knew we couldn't give this to an engagement or to a parish campaign manager, and I didn't want to give this to Linda. Just right. you know, I felt so. I was like, Linda, let me take this on, but I can't do it by myself. I need your help let's do it together. So we did it together. And, um, you know, it was interesting to go through that process, but what was so beautiful about it was there was about 200 families there. And out of the 200 families in the end, 198 or 199, it was like almost 99% participated in the campaign. Mm. They, um, they did amazing. And it was, it was a wonderful experience. And I think there was one point, one of the parishioners said, that what was so special about the campaign was they felt they were a part of the Diocese of Phoenix. Mm. And, you know, I think it really, it just goes to speak that although we are very diverse, there's great opportunity to engage and to strengthen those relationships. Mm-hmm. And we did distribute some pledge cards in Korean. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Well, we, again, we had yeah. a great partnership with the parish. Yeah. and they So they did it all and then they helped us, you know, interpret it. <laughs> Well, there's. I love the way you're kind of weaving in the campaign because there's just so many great byproducts yeah. besides mm. the money oh. and oh. besides the great things that happen with the money. Mm-hmm. But the engagement level, what I'm hearing you say, mm-hmm. not only at the parish level, but then the broader understanding of the needs of the diocese comes out when you do these Absolutely. larger campaigns. And then mm-hmm. the bishop can kind of foster, has the opportunity to foster better relationships because he's out there and, yes. yeah. you know, with his brother priest. So. Well, and we've heard pastors say as well, now that they've learned how the campaign was run, many of them have gotten different ideas as to how they want to run their annual appeal. Nice. So um, they feel more empowered, maybe yeah. a little more knowledgeable. And, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one pastor tell me, uh, was very resistant towards the campaign on the onset and was talking to him recently and he said, Condé, I've drank the Kool-Aid. <laughs> but it's really no Kool-Aid. It's, it's, it's yeah. really just, it's, it's just giving God an opportunity to work through right. something yeah. that, um, 
is really extraordinary. We don't get these kind of opportunities all the time. Yeah. And sometimes we grow from doing something that we're uncomfortable with. And exactly. Absolutely. And that sounds like that's what happened with Bishop, these guys. Bishop often would say, you know, what, part of our job is to bring people to the cross. Right. And one of the ways that we do that is invite them to in, into sacrificial giving. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was a beautiful thing. And it did. It changed lives. It changed people. And it changed our diocese. So for the better. That's beautiful. How about, I mean, this is such a growing area. You must have a lot of young people involved. Are you, uh, how are you seeing that translate with your fundraising, your appeal, stewardship? Or are you finding uh, young adults getting involved in the church here? Yeah, I think that's part of the reason um, why we're looking at how we utilize our database sure. and how we understand our constituency much better because it's changing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, we often spent a lot of time thinking about millennials and their engagement and their involvement and, and although they are very different, we also know that they're very generous, yeah. that they, they do give. And now they may not be giving in the form of a pledge and say, I'm going to give pledge over it. But I mean, they are very philanthropic when they identify with something that is mission or aligns with their purpose. So if we're going to align with their purpose, we can no longer just say, give to an annual appeal. Right. Mm-hmm. Because in their mind, there's there's a lack of accountability and transparency and really a lack of impact. And I'm not saying that that is, but you know, when you give to an appeal, you're trusting that it's going to go into this big bucket and right. then it's going to go to all the right places. Mm-hmm. So th- that's what I really mean by the transparency and the, that there's a real impact. But if we can talk to a, um, a young person and talk to them about how this, um, this young family that are refugees and that we can help put them in a home or this person that made a bad choice in their life is going to help be transitioned into the civilian world from jail. Um, or if we can feed this family and say, you're going to make an impact with this person by giving to this ministry or charity or apostolate. That's going to make a huge difference. But the yeah. only way that we can do that is if we have really good data, if we can understand it, if we can be able to structure that data in a way where we can invite them in a very tailored fashion, which deals with segmentation and things like that. So mm-hmm. it's really created a huge emphasis on that. And then um, where Lisa's concentrating on with um, is our um, digital marketing and how do we reaching out to them through oh, social great. media, yeah. through digital, yeah. through these podcasts, you know, I mm-hmm. mean, these kind of things, like how are we, how are we engaging? our our um our flock like that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what kind of tell me a little bit about your digital media strategy are you i imagine you're on all the social media channels and well primarily facebook yeah that's where mm-hmm. our audience primarily is yeah um but we're sampling a lot of new different things this year we're doing mm-hmm. some targeted social media ads mm-hmm. um now that we have a new database we're able to amp up email marketing that's not something we've really been able to do okay and so with a new database that's something we're trying and testing and so i i would say this year we're testing a lot of different things and maybe next year we'll have a better idea of where we want to focus some geofencing mm-hmm. and i mean i think the other thing is we do we are all on the networks like twitter Instagram. I mean, yeah. so we the are dioceses, yeah. Yeah, the dioceses, but, but I think just to Lisa's point right there is, is the diocese isn't different than the mission advancement office. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do we create one consistent message that ultimately understands our constituency and then invites them to participate? So we've really built a real strategic relationship with our communications office. Yeah. We're now where we were, you know, they were doing their thing. We're doing the, we're now meeting weekly and how we're working together with the social media aspects. So, um, some testing, mm-hmm. applying budget to it, and then, um, just doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Tremendous. Yeah, the geofencing is just an uncharted territory for it is. a lot of the development, but there's so much data there. <laughs> there really is. I mean, right? We're being tracked every day by carrying these right. phones around. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's it's scary, right? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> and how, how can we use that to bring people closer to the Lord? Right. Absolutely. Well That's said. It. Well said. Yeah. So uh, Catholic education, tell me a little bit about uh, the landscape of Catholic education. Are you involved with that? I know a little bit through the annual appeal, mm-hmm. but uh, how is Catholic education in the Diocese of Phoenix? Yeah. Um, well, Linda was part of Catholic education for years. So. Well, oh, right. I, yeah, sure. I worked at mm-hmm. uh, Seton Catholic Prep. And, yeah. um, you know, again, it, nothing happens unless it has bishop support. And we have a, a bishop who is a great supporter of Catholic education. So we're very blessed. But we have, if I remember, 28 grade schools mm-hmm. and now seven high schools. Yep. And, um, it, you know, we part of this campaign was... A new Catholic high school. So mm. our Catholic high school was the only one that was a newly opened Catholic high school that year in the United States. So nice. we're very proud of that. But there's, you know, the population is exploding here. We are filling our seats in schools. Some schools have waiting lists. Um, most of our schools have preschools. Most of our elementary schools also have preschools. And um, it's, it's just, a it, it's really thriving. Uh, parents are looking for good quality education, but to have children that come out of an eighth grade or high school with a moral compass yeah. is so important that they know the Lord and they've been tested and challenged through their years in Catholic education so they understand why they're Catholic. Those are building are the future leaders of our church. Absolutely. And there's no better way to form them. Yeah. To what Linda was mentioning about the schools and, and then tying into diversity. And when you think about our schools, if you look at, if you look at the population um, and the the demographics, uh, kindergarten is about 52% Hispanic. Mm-hmm. When you go from first grade to eighth grade, and you kind of look at all the schools together, it drops from 52% to about 47 to 48%. But then when you go to the high schools and look from nine to 12, it drops all the way to about 31% Hispanic population. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because of where the current high schools are located um, um, within the Diocese of Phoenix. Another part is the tuition basically doubles. So when Bishop Olmsted built this new high school, St. John Paul II, um, it was strategically placed in an area where it would be able to serve the Hispanic community. So now that statistic of 27% on average um, is flipped, and it's about 72 to 75% Hispanic within the high school, which is huge. Yeah. Tremendous, yeah. and I and I think I saw online that he just published another encyclical. I haven't had a chance to take a look at it's it. It's another apostolic exhortation, mm-hmm. "Complete My Joy." Ah, and yeah. what's what's the theme of that? Well, it was it's really um, written to those of us as mothers and fathers, husbands and wives. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bishop's heart is with the family, mm-hmm. and the family is, as we all know, as Catholics, it's being challenged in this country, and it's also very different today. Uh, family, that word, mm-hmm. conjures up different things for people. So he wrote to us and really challenged us on um, how to be better parents, how to be better wives and husbands, and how to best strengthen our families. Along with the release of the apostolic exhortation was also released a prayer guide for families. So just simple ways then, but empowering us as parents and husbands and wives to pray together as a family and giving us very simple tools. So it's been, again, another very 
um, very big success for Bishop, but I, I hate to even use the word success, that's not correct. It gives us an opportunity to hear the wisdom that is Bishop Olmstead. But it's it's a message we all need today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because when the family, you know, it, it, there's a phrase, and I'm not going to get it right, but it's something like where there where the family goes, there the community goes. As so, the family goes, so goes the nation. Thank you. St. John thank Paul you. II. Yeah. Wow. So uh, thank you very much. And it's so true. So we're doing what we can to support Bishop in his effort to strengthen the family. Well, the uh, the um, first time I came in contact with Bishop Olmstead was reading Into the Breach, like you mentioned earlier, Conde. Our uh, men's group at ah. my home parish, we, uh, we got a copy of it, and we just read through it together. Uh, read a few pages, discussed it, read a few pages. There's just so much depth there, you know, for us as men, as fathers, as husbands, as brothers. I mean, it's just... Yeah. All, yeah. It's just the way he wove that together. I would highly recommend that to anybody who's listening. And I'm, I'm excited to download a copy of this new exhortation. Yeah. To, It'd be to, good to, um, if you have a chance, uh, my wife and I, it came out a year ago on the Feast of the Holy Family. Mm-hmm. And what we did was we were using that as our opportunity to clean clean up the house after our family and friends over. Mm-hmm. So what we did was we downloaded the podcast and we listened to it together as we were cleaning up the house. Mm-hmm. Oh, And then what we would do is we'd pause it and then we would talk about different moments that caused conversation. So if you can listen to it with your wife, mm-hmm. highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I, I actually read Into the Breach, yeah. and I know it was an apostolic exhortation to men, but I gave birth to two men. <laughs> and, and I thought- You have a stake I, in this I, then. I, I do. I do. And I want to help them as their mother. I want to encourage yeah. that fatherhood mm-hmm. and that spiritual presence in their family. So I read Into the Breach and then discussed it with my sons. Well, beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So if you haven't heard of Into the Breach mm-hmm. and you're a mom, read it. Yeah. <laughs> Or listen to the podcast, but my husband and I listened to the podcast as we were driving mm-hmm. as well. So it was a great conversation starter, mm-hmm. and and really thought provoking. Mm-hmm. Well, when I, I uh, after we were done going through it, I bought copies from my dad, my brother, my father in law, and that was their Christmas gift that <laughs> oh, year. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Well, guys, this was great. I can see why you make such a compelling team. Uh, congratulations on this great team, and I wish you all the best for the future. Any any closing thoughts? We're just lucky. We are so blessed here, I think, in the diocese. Our team is blessed. We are blessed with our bishop, and we are ready to change the face of development in the Catholic world. Yeah, I believe that's true. Yeah. The thing I have learned the most in these last current years is that the the best way to have success in development in church in life is to remember that it's not about you yeah and that god has a plan yeah. so it's all god's plan and so some it it's always we stumble every time we forget that mm-hmm. and then something happens and we're reminded once again this is god's plan not mine so that yeah. i pass that on Jim, thank you for um, coming down here to Phoenix and uh, and taking time to spend with us. And thanks for the good work you're doing with changing our world and uh, all all that you've done in the past. And uh, so we're, we're very grateful and honored that you uh, that you invited us to be on the show. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks. It was great yeah, to be with this, you. Today. It was a lot of fun. Thank yeah. you it for was having for us. For me too. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> thanks for the invitation. You're welcome. Thank you. God bless. Thank you. I want to thank Conde, Linda, and Lisa for being on the show this week. 
For more information about the exciting things happening in the Diocese of Phoenix, please visit their website at dphx.org. Well, that's our show this week. Many thanks to the Changing Our World podcast team and the Pottery Studios for their support of our show. If you'd like more information about our show, please visit us at advancingourchurch.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for the past 20 years. For more information, please visit us at changingourworld.com. Well, that's it for me, everybody. Have a terrific week. Take care. God bless. God bless.